0: Last week, we began a new series titled, The Best Christmas Ever. And the question is, if we were to pause on January 2nd of next year and look back over the last six weeks and you go, what do we think that would be, this was the best Christmas that we've ever had? And you go, what would it take for that to happen you know, what shifts would we need to make in our lives that we would come away and go, this season was deeply satisfying for us. And moving away from maybe kind of the frazzlement of that chaos of Christmas, but last week we looked at, at really the first step, and I want to put on this slide something that we need to choose, and this, choose joy. I don't know if you realize that joy is actually a biblical imperative. It's a command. We can choose it. And that we realize that the circumstances of our lives really doesn't determine whether we're joyful or not. Matter of fact, we looked at Philippians chapter 4, where it's the command, Rejoice always in the Lord. And I gave you a pathway, and I, and I said, when you, when you get into trouble, and it's, you're in the opposite of rejoicing... What you need to begin to do is pout. You can go back and listen to that. P was for pray. You pray about everything. Always offer your needs to God. That text points that out. And third, unending thankfulness to make a shift in our hearts. And last that T. Think on those things that are praiseworthy a great pathway to lead to joy. But there's another issue we need to tackle here this morning. Now I want to put a word again on the screen here, and it's this word, chaos. We know the pace of Christmas and the season at Christmas, the pace of life, the calendars are too full uh, let me fill in the blank, you got those sermon notes there, and I want to put up the first key thought, and really the main thought for today, and it's this, if you want the best Christmas ever, <clears throat> replace chaos with God's rest. See, here's the challenge, we live in a world where we actually value time over money, And think about a couple short words here. Our time, or maybe to put it this way, my time. My time. See, it implies that time belongs to us. And we want to control it. And it's chaos when we can't control our time. And the challenge, especially I think in late November and December, is that everything else seems to control our time. And when that happens, when we go every direction, we don't like it. Now, in fairness, I do know of a few people who like their, you know, they actually like to live their life in chaos, but I would say that's not Deanna and myself. But too often, I think this is the deal. We think that we're helpless in controlling it at this time of the year. We justify it. Everybody else is doing it. Now, i got to point out, there's an area I I wish I could explore longer, but it'd probably take the whole time. And we recognize that Christmas and the stuff that's going on is also connected to our significance and our sense of meaning. And there's phrases that I think that are connected to this time of the year, and that it covers up some of our deeper needs, and it's phrases like this, people-pleasing. Getting people's approval. Needing to be loved. I feel loved when I meet other people's expectations. I, I wish I could dig more there, but I, I just, I can't today. I just don't have the time. But we sense on one level, here's the deal. For Christmas and December, we create a list. How many of you have a list on your phone right now? Come on, admit it. I know my wife does, a number of you. There's a list and that list keeps us from slowing down and it th- and it really forces us at times to forget the priorities of the month. And I think it's not all that easy all the time. Because I don't think it's natural for us to stop and ask God, what do you want in the midst of this month for us? For us. Because let me give you a hard, I think a hard truth here. That we just have to admit, It's this for your notes, that the chaos and the crowded calendars are detrimental to our relationship with God. If we allow it. We just have to admit that this time of the year, when it comes to the busyness of the schedule, that I think it plays into the enemy's hands. And I don't think Jesus ever intended for us to have holiday chaos where it clutters a relationship with him. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10 this morning. A well-known story. And it's pretty evident, I think quickly you're going to see how it fits into a calendar that's too busy. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Look how it reads. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving and getting ready for Christmas. Okay, I added that in there. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone tell her then to help me but the Lord answered her Martha Martha you are anxious and troubled about many things but one thing is necessary Mary has chosen the good portion which is not to be taken away from her Now, I I need to give you some context of this a little bit. It, It broadens our understanding of the passage. First, the they in 38 is Christ, the disciples, but this is just coming off a missionary journey where Jesus sent 70 away basically to train them in discipleship. And this is just right after that. So when it says they, we're not sure how many people. It could have been a couple, but I suspect there's actually more. It's a little bit more than we anticipate as well. So I don't think it's a small group. And and why? It's because Martha was feeling the urgency of needing to prepare for this group of people. But also another piece to it, the word welcome... When we think of that word, we just think of a casual greeting, okay? But it's much more than that back then. For them, it was biblical hospitality. And your home wasn't just to have a quick gathering. It was to make them feel restful and cared for and actually feel honored. So it went beyond just a quick meal, it was broader than our understanding, again, of just something happens. And, and matter of fact, it was an almost an unwritten expectation that you might have to actually invite them to spend the night. Understand, there weren't a lot of holiday inns back then. So you imagine, here's a group of people, maybe 8, 10, 12 people, knocking on their door, showing up, unexpected, expecting a meal, and maybe being even offered to spend the night, needing to spend the night. So recognize what Martha was doing, this was a noble task. It was genuine caring. And Martha felt the weight of the responsibility of that on her. Now, if we see in this passage, Martha was busy with a multitude of of tasks, providing that meal, maybe more, but the pressure created a bit of an attitude with Martha. Now, when I was growing up, we lived on a farm, and because of the space it was spread out and we had a pretty big lawn, a couple of times we hosted some family reunions, um, especially on my dad's side. And oftentimes it would be, oh, anywhere from 60 to 80 people, something like that, for a family reunion. It's Tom and Gwen Geisler's Christmas meal, I think, is, is kind of like what it would be, right, guys? Um, but six of us in the family, three boys, three girls... Everybody was supposed to jump in and help. Everybody was given a job to get ready, ready for that gathering. Usually mine would, ended up being mowing the lawn. And, and the size of the lawn, we didn't even have a riding lawn board. We had two push mowers. And it would take us somewhere between seven, eight, nine hours to mow the entire thing if you mowed everything. So six kids in six years, okay, and if you watched our family, it was very easy on those days to compare who was doing the most. They don't have to do as much as I do. They got the easy job. It isn't fair. Isn't that normal? When we get older, now when we get older, and even in family gatherings, we may not express that out loud anymore. Even at work settings, we compare who's doing the most. It's easy to say it. Do we always verbally say it? No. I think we refrain from it. Even wives, you see your husband sitting in the chair this afternoon watching the Viking game and you're getting ready for the Christmas gathering. Do you say something? Do you say something at that point? Do you you give the look? (laughs) Guys, we just have to admit that one of our spiritual gifts is to be a slacker when it comes to company coming. But somewhere in this passage, hidden, Martha is telling Jesus, it's not fair. It's not fair. I'm doing all the work. Mary is the slacker. Now, Jesus here, you notice that he's always the discipler. He's always discipling people. He's presenting these two women, complete and mature, wanting to move them to a new spiritual place. It's a great example of mentoring and what how that works and what, what's happening spiritually influencing someone else, but Jesus is taking this situation and he's influencing these women and he's making disciples at this point, okay, but as I was pondering this issue of and just watching Jesus really, this is a disciple-making moment, I, I had a thought that Struck me, and I, I'm going to share it with you. It's a frustration. It's a pastoral frustration. And i uh, seen this for years. And, and it's about the issue of this time of the year with ministry and disciple-making. And I'll be open here. And I'll put it this way. It's easy to put intentional and personal disciple-making on hold for six weeks during this time of the year. I'm not sure that that's what Christ wants. See, the Christmas chaos gets in the way of mission in our lives and even in churches. But let me keep going. Discipling Mary and Martha is the response of Jesus. And we see that in this story that it applies, really, I think you're going to catch it, to us in our Christmas season here. Look at verse 42. I don't have it on the screen. But in verse 42, there's this phrase, But one thing is necessary. Martha, there's only one thing necessary in life. And Martha, Mary has it figured out, and you don't. So here's a gathering with all the expectations. Mary has it figured out. Martha, you don't get it. But rather than just blurting out and telling her, Jesus wants Martha to see what's important by looking at what Mary did. What was Mary doing? She was sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to his teaching. In your notes, first application here for us. You want to replace chaos and too much busyness for rest at this time of the year? Don't forget to focus on the things that are eternal. The things that are eternal. Now, how do we know that... Sitting at the feet of Jesus is eternal. Notice in the phrase, the passage says this in 42, which shall not be taken away from her. See, that's about focusing on the things that are long-term and into the eternity. So do we want to get rid of chaos and move toward a place where we can say this is the best Christmas ever? Here's a question in your notes to ask I think it's a legitimate question this time of the year. Is what I am fretting about eternal or temporal? Temporary. Is what I'm doing, what my family is doing, is there eternal value to it? See, is making sure everybody's happy with just the right Christmas gift that we've spent equally really about the eternal? See, which is a more eternal value? Making sure that our kids have just the right gift or taking time to pray for them and their hearts and where they're headed spiritually? See, does fretting about every detail concerning the Christmas gathering, does it really have to do with anything about eternal? Now, I'm not saying that all stuff is bad. I'm I'm not trying to be the Christmas Scrooge here, okay? But if it's not connected to the eternal and you don't have the time, just maybe we shouldn't be doing it. And maybe we just need to slow down and allow some margin, I was going to say margin, margin in our lives for the eternal. Mary had chosen the good portion. What was the good portion? It was Mary's attention given to Jesus and sitting at his feet listening to his teaching. And the words that were coming out of his mouth, they were words that were eternal and would last. Let me give you a second application. Getting rid of the chaos and replacing it with real spiritual rest. Number two, leave room in your schedules to listen to Jesus. Look at 39. Look at the verse. And she had a sister called Mary and sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Now, just stop and ponder that for a second. Mary, she had advantage. Jesus was in front of her. But people were in the room, and Jesus is the discipler here. Mary hit the pause button. I should do it with a mouse. Hit the pause button and put on pause some good things so she could listen to the Christ that was in front of her. So how about us? When the holiday pressure comes, are we willing to pause it and listen to Jesus? And, and can we just admit that when the chaos and the season and the pace of life picks up, oftentimes the first to go is our quiet times, is spending time with Christ, with Jesus. But here's where I, I think, if we're honest, when you talk about the word rest here, we don't always equate resting... And spending time with Jesus, we just don't view that necessarily as restful. See, when we think of rest, our first inclination is physical rest. Our first thought goes to, let's just get a good night's sleep. Oh yes, a long nap. That'll do it. And how about a vacation? Let's just check out of the chaos. Let's head to Cancun. Let's... Get a ticket to Bahamas and we're just going to avoid all that chaos. Now, do we need physical rest? I go, absolutely. Because I I realize that physical rest can bleed over into the spiritual world. But just some of you, you need to go home and skip the Viking game and take a long nap. You're not laughing. Maybe it's hitting home. Don't worry about them. Now, yeah, I know there's benefits to rest for sure, but if our goal is to have a best Christmas ever, it's got to be more than just the physical aspects. See, I think we're missing, if it's just physical, we're missing out on something. Now, Mary had an advantage again. She had Jesus in front of her. But is not the Spirit of God within us? Doesn't that count And the Spirit of God is powerful and profound. And he can remind us of eternal things if we're sitting quietly in front of him. But let me give you a third application. Let me keep going here. I think you know this intuitively. Number three, busyness can be hurtful to relationships that matter. See, do we believe that Jesus really wants a relationship with us? More than just attending church on a Sunday morning. He wants us to have a life-giving relationship where he gives us life every day. And he's inviting us to this. But it's through this, through the word of God, that we taste of it, that we drink of it, that we chew on it. That we build it. It's the pathway to a relationship with Jesus. So maybe this week, how about going out on a date with God? Go to a coffee shop and just bring your Bible. Or maybe you need to, when the kids are napping, rather than doing Christmas stuff, just sit down in the chair, pull out the Bible, and just read. And just read. Sit at the feet of of Jesus. But let me go down another piece to here and on this issue cuz realize that single this doesn't apply to you but I know this the holidays often hurt marriage relationships. There's usually a spike in counseling after over the years with marriages. See with the chaos people don't have time to actually offer a relationship with their spouse. Plan a date. Go have some ice cream with your spouse. Maybe you need to skip one of the Christmas things and spend time with your husband or your wife. Get a babysitter. See, now, I recognize the marriage technically isn't eternal. Marriage ceases when heaven begins. I don't know if you realize that. But in the eternal sense, it is because the relationship between a wife and... And a husband is supposed to reflect the relationship between Christ and the church. And that is eternal. Don't miss out on that. It can add to the foundation of a great Christmas. But let me go back to Martha. What would have been the worst thing that could have happened if she would have been late for the meal? A group of people given her looks, looking down at her because she was late. And realize this, what would Jesus have done if he would have seen that? He would have gone after them if that would have been their attitude. So maybe if it's you, this is your family, maybe you'd figure out how do you slow down enough to focus on the eternal, maybe instead of the big spread, You get some You Bake Pizzas. That gives you some more margin in your life. Is that even a viable option? See, during this season becomes a time, a period to work so hard to please everyone, including the self. We just have to admit that. And, And I know traditions can be helpful, they can be fun, but they don't always fit the eternal. is the only reason for the season to keep grandma happy? And you go, no. See, what do you think Jesus' reaction again in this bustling that was going on, what would he do if he looked at our lives in December? There's no one more application here. Look at verse 40. It comes from this. But Martha was distracted. That were distracted with much serving. Martha couldn't rest. She couldn't fit, sit at the feet of Jesus because of distractions. Number four, be intentional to identify distractions, even the ones that are good. See, serving here for. Martha, it wasn't evil, it was bad. Matter of fact, you would actually put it into the label of being good. But it wasn't best. Therefore, Jesus put that into the category of a distraction. And Martha had lost focus. Can we stop and identify some of the distractions? Let me give you some practical suggestions I think that fit during the season. Move toward rest. Move toward something different. The first one is this. Reset your expectations. And oftentimes they're internal ones. And ask, is this eternally focused? If not, lower them. Ask, do I have the time and the energy to actually make it happen? The second one, unplug technology. You might need to add up all the minutes that you're on Facebook and other stuff and internet and maybe you need to go, I need to back off. Need to back off. Here's a third suggestion. Start your Bible reading plan in December rather than waiting toward January. January. If you've been lax on your Bible reading and your time with Jesus, begin, grab a plan, go on the internet, find a plan. Don't wait till January 1st for the New Year's resolution. Begin it today. See, begin asking what adds to the eternal. And I think when you do those things, chaos can get replaced by rest. And satisfaction goes up when the eternal gets elevated. You know, in our elder discussion on Tuesday night, we were talking about discipleship factors in our church. And I had been reading a book, and I brought a couple pieces from that book. The book's title was No Silver Bullet. And part of the piece to that book is they had researched... 2,500 people, they had tracked them for a year looking at what were the factors that moved their lives spiritually where they were actually growing in their faith and they were, they were trying to identify all of the different areas that made, helped a person grow. And I want to give you the top three. But at number three, this is the third most important factor, is this, regular participation in a church small group. The third highest, when they track people in spiritual change, deepen in relationships with a group of people from in the body of Christ. The second one is this regularly attending a worship service. Now, just a side note here parents, I don't know if you know this, but there's a high correlation from having your kids in a worship service and from them walking in their faith beyond high school. High correlation. But the number one factor in spiritual growth is this, reading your Bible. Not even studying it. Just reading the Bible. And do you know what most often gets left out during this season? All three of those. For so many people. All three of them. And yet those are the top three which actually moves and transforms people's hearts and lives. Moving from chaos to rest to thinking about the things that are eternal. I want to end with one more passage here. Matthew chapter 11. And these verses are like our topic and, and, and putting a, wrapping paper and putting a big bowl on it. They're a gift to us. Look how it reads. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And we recognize, man, that just applies way beyond Christmas as well. But this time of the year, when the chaos comes and we're way, way too busy, are we willing to come to Jesus and yoke with him? I wish I could get into that. There's more to it. I recognize that. We think that's a burden. It's not. And it says that he gives us Rest. He replenishes our souls. And every one of us needs that. This week, stop and figure out what's important. Focus on the eternal. Spend some time sitting at the feet of Jesus. But let me just end with this. There there might be some people in here today, you really aren't even sure if you have a relationship with Jesus. And and I would ask you to do this. Just pause and ask the question, do I really know him? Deep within me, is there a desire that says, God, I want to please you? And if you're not sure on what it means to really have this relationship with Christ, I would invite you to talk to one of the elders talk to me, send me an email, come up afterward, and, and I'd love to sit down and just explain more what it means to come to a place where you know him and where this Christmas begins to make sense in a way that's just enlightening and much more profound in your life. See, God wants to know us. He wants to love us, every one of us here. So this week, Figure out what's eternal. Sit at the feet of Jesus just a little bit more. Let's stand and pray.